0: Well that song we sang this morning, Speak O Lord, is a perfect example of what we should pray this morning. We're gonna look at James 1 in just a minute, um, but I want to start with prayer. And specifically, in light of that song, the same idea. What we're asking for as we come to hear from God's word is that he'd speak to us. There should be a a readiness and eagerness to hear what God has to say. And so let's, let's go to the Lord and, and ask him to do those very things, to help us have willing hearts, ready to hear his word, that he would reveal to us ways in which we need to grow and change. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege to sing, to bring praise to you. We thank you for prayer. We thank you that we can come to you and ask for your help. And I thank you for uh, your word. And pray that you'd help us, Father, to have hearts sensitive to what you want us to hear from your word. And I pray that you would help us to have this attitude, this mindset of being eager to hear from your word, not just when we come together on Sunday, but as a daily experience, that our desire would be for your word to guide us in our lives, that your word would be the guiding and controlling compass of our lives that uh, we would be motivated to understand what you've said so that we can then do what you've said. Help us to not be enamored with uh, just facts and trivia about your word, but help us to truly desire it to change us, to transform us, to uh, make us more like your son. And we pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at it to have that kind of attitude and mindset ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I'm going to uh, remind you of a thing in history that uh, you're pretty familiar with, although um, modern uh, research and things sometimes reveals details that are different than maybe we learned, and I don't want to squabble about those details, but just want to talk to you briefly about uh, the famous Midnight Ride of Paul Revere on April 19th. Um, you you uh, hear about it uh, in movies, art, and even books that uh, portray many times the colonists at that time as shocked, surprised, or astonished that the British really were coming. Um, yet... Um, there was a lot of evidence to uh, support the fact that people had an idea that the British were coming already. Um, As early as 1774, there was significant training and drilling and preparation for the British to come, Um, and there had even been steps taken to organize into an army and amass supplies in Concord and other places to outfit that army. Um, the British would strike at Concord to take uh, supplies. Uh, that was no surprise, really, uh, because people were expecting that. Um, there had been different uh, acts of Congress, and, or uh, the, the Provincial Congress at that time, to uh, uh, establish... Uh, 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 response and, and uh, to be ready for this, and uh, there were two important leaders at that time, John Hancock and Sam Adams, um, who had left Boston, fearing the likelihood of their arrest, and they had taken up reverence in, or residence in the house of the Reverend Jonas Clark in Lexington. Now, on Sunday, April 16th, just three days prior to this uh, famous date of the Midnight Ride. Revere had made the ride from Boston to Lexington to inform Hancock and Adams of the British preparations in Boston. This ride was not made at midnight. He did not holler about British or regulars or pound on doors. In all likelihood, few people even noticed him pass. It was not a dramatic ride, but the importance of it cannot be overstated. Once word reached Hancock and Adams in Lexington that the British were clearly about to move, everything changed. Orders were issued to remove all military supplies from Concord. For the next three days, provincials would work feverishly to move cannons, gunpowder, tents, tools, muskets, uh, cartridge paper, rations, and all manner of things that an army required from Concord. These implements of war were hidden in woods, sometimes buried underground, distributed to towns far and wide. By April 19th, virtually all of the military supplies in Concord had been hidden away. The midnight ride was indeed important as Paul Revere and others, uh, uh, other riders, uh, alarmed people and awakened the countryside to the fact that the precise moment was at hand but the key warning had already been delivered. Because of Revere's ride on April 16th, the British expedition had, before it even left Boston, already failed. So, we see in our country, the, the starting of our country, the early days, there was an important threat of the British coming. And there was early warning of that. And we note that our, the people of our country were ready They were ready to respond to that warning. We had uh, a group of people uh, called the Minutemen, right? That were ready to respond quickly to uh, a warning or a threat. And the point that I want you to see this morning in light of what we're gonna look at in James is that we too, as we come to God's word, are warned of dangers or things are exposed in our lives that need to change. And our attitude also should be similar to what it was of the early Americans that we're ready to react. We are ready to respond. We are ready to make those changes that God wants to happen in our lives. So we're going to see this morning that true faith, a genuine faith, as James is talking about here, uh, acts on the word of God. We don't ignore the important warnings that God gives. We respond to it and we act Quickly. That's what James is going to talk about here in chapter 1. So let's read verses 19 uh, to 21 as we get started this morning. And we see here that we should lis- listen to the scriptures as the word of God. Verse 19 says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. So I want you to see, first of all, James' point this morning as to look at verse 19 is that we are to listen to the word of God. We're to listen to the word of God. But he starts in verse 19 with a preface here. He says... Uh, First of all, he says this, you know, my beloved brethren. I I mentioned in a few weeks ago that this phrase, my beloved brethren or my brethren, is used by James often to signal a change, that he's moving on to a different topic. So we looked at verses 12 through 18 in James 1 and how he talks about trials and temptation. So now James is moving on from trials and temptation to focus in on true faith and how it responds to the word of God. So this topic runs from 19 down to 27 and you can see in chapter 2 as chapter 2 starts, what does he start with again? My brethren, right? He's he's on in chapter 2 to a new topic where he's going to talk about partiality. And then you can see in verse 14, he does it again. Verse 14 he says, "What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith. And he's on to a new topic in 14 where he's going to talk about true faith and works. So we have here in 19 to 27 the introduction of a new topic and it is that of true faith responding to the Word of God. How does true faith respond to the Word of God? And he says here, you know, my brethren, um, The idea here is he's uh, saying this is important to know and understand, but I think these first two tests, that of the trials and temptation, and this here of responding to the word of God, are challenges that James gives, but there's an indication that he thinks the readers are doing pretty well in response to these two tests that he's laying out, whereas some of the later tests that he's going to lay out he's a lot firmer and a lot harsher in his criticism and how they are doing in those cases. But in this case, it's more of a gentle reminder of things they should know, they should remember, uh, and he's telling them that they should listen to the Word of God. So he says here there is a priority in listening. Look at verse 19 again with me. It says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So we see here the priority of listening. The priority of listening. He says we need to be quick to hear. The idea of quick is just like you would think. It's fast or speedy. And the idea is that we have a readiness and eagerness. We, we talked about the early days of the colonies with the Americans and how they were ready. They were anticipating the attack from the British coming. They were ready for it. They were uh, listening for that warning because they knew they would have to act quickly. That's the idea of what James is talking about here that we would have a readiness to hear and um, you could look at this, and you could ask the question: Is James just talking here about a proverb, you know, a, a proverbial statement that it's it's good for us to listen uh, before we speak? Because you know, as we we talk about even in our modern culture, we say, "Hey, you have you have two ears and one mouth, right?" So, is that James's point here that it's just a better thing to listen than it is to speak? Is that really what his point is? There's even been philosophers through the ages that have said similar things. Is James simply echoing that, that sentiment that it's better to listen than it is to hear? I don't think that's really James's point. His point is, in verse 18, if you look at verse 18, he talks about God having brought us forth with the word of truth. He's talking in verse 18 about the word of God he's talking about in verse 21 the word implanted he talks about being a doer of the word in the rest of the section i don't think he's just giving us a proverbial admonishment that is better to listen than it is to speak his point is we need to be ready to listen to god's word that's his point he's pointing out that our attitude should be that of eager to learn from god's word. We should be eager to take in God's Word. We should be eager to hear what God has to say. And this would uh, seem to be in the setting of of the early church setting where nobody had copies of their own Bibles. In our day and age, we're very blessed and fortunate that we all can have our own copies of the Word of God. In fact, there was a discussion right before Sunday school about Does somebody have this particular version? It was like, well, you know, I've got, on my phone, I can get that. You know, we have technology. We have means today to have the copies of the Word of God and have multiple versions and multiple copies. We don't lack for that. But in that day and age, people didn't have their own copies. The Gutenberg Press hadn't been invented yet, so there was a very rare... Uh, that anyone would have copies and if there were copies of the word of god it would have been at the uh synagogues or uh, the meeting uh, assemblies and so what he's talking about here is in the assembly the attitude with which we go should be that of an eagerness to hear from the reading and teaching of god's word and the priority should be that of learning from god's word the priority of absorbing what God has said as opposed to the negative examples he gives there of being uh, speaking or uh, being angry which which we'll get to in just a minute but his admonishing us to have an attitude of eagerness to take in and listen to and absorb the Word of God. So, By way of uh, illustrations I want to give you a couple examples. Anyone Ever have these uh, magic grow capsules? you remember those? Uh, maybe you've purchased some of those. These little, little tiny things. You put them, put them in some water, right, and they grow into some kind of animal, you know, I don't know, five times, ten times as big as that little capsule was, right? It, it grows. What's, what's happening there? There's an absorption, right, of water, and it's causing it to expand and grow. Um, my my personal favorite was one of the, I think it was my, my oldest son had one like this. It was like a little figure that was about three inches and you put it in a bathtub or something. And that thing grew significantly bigger and turned into this big thing that uh, you could play with for a little bit. I don't remember, it didn't last very long. But um, the idea is these toys, when put in water, because they had been somehow dehydrated or the water was taken out of them they were left in the state where then you added water to it it grew it got bigger and it became uh, much bigger than it was in a similar way to, to use that as an illustration our mindset our attitude should be just like that song we sang that we're eager to take in God's word we hunger for it we know we need it And so someone who is a genuine believer recognizes the value of God's word and therefore there is a priority on listening to it, absorbing it. But what gets in the way? Sometimes we think, and and probably about this very passage we could think, I've heard that before, right? I get that. I I know that. I've already heard that. I've got that down. right?" Well, the reality is We need God's Word. And even if we know it, as James has reminded them here, you need to know this, right? Maybe you've heard this before, but you need to remember it's important that we have an attitude of eager intake of God's Word. And that's what James is arguing for here. Now, as another illustration for the importance and the priority of listening, I won't name the particular company. You may be able to figure out, but it's not my intention to reveal it to you. But uh, there was a particular company that not long ago uh, was a internet service provider, right? So, uh, you know, uh, you can have TV and internet in your home. Is one of those companies that's well known, well established, but in my estimation and the experience of many of my coworkers, because we're IT people, the company has a really, really terrible customer service reputation, alright? So, it wasn't long ago that this company was talking big about customer service as a new focus for the company and, and how they were trying to change that reputation and things. Well, one of the things they did at that time is they talked about somebody in leadership had this new job, and uh, this person really wanted to hear from customers and how things are going. Well, at the time, I was dealing with transitioning my address and getting my service uh, started. And what happened in my case was the, the billing just didn't fall well uh, for me. I, I get paid once a month, so I was really hoping the billing would start at a certain point and just would work better for our budget. So I was trying to talk through, just had a terrible experience. It was, it was talking to a stone wall. Was no, I wasn't getting anywhere on that. So I thought, hey, there's a new guy, and they want to hear about customer service experiences, right? So I did some searching on Google, I found there's a web page you can go to and supposedly email this really high level person about customer service because they were really focused on that right now. So I filled that out and I think the first time I filled it out it maybe didn't seem like it went right so I did it again so I'm I'm pretty confident I even got my message in twice if not three times. Guess what happened? I heard nothing! I heard nothing. Did that company really prioritize listening to their customers? I don't think so. Maybe I was the rare exception, but I don't think they changed anything. They talked about prioritizing listening, but I don't really think they did. We need to prioritize listening to the Word of God. It needs to not just be talk, it needs to be the reality that we genuinely, as we sang such a great song about openness and eagerness for God to speak from his word, to change us. We need to prioritize listening. Uh, We need to prioritize listening, not just talk about it, right? We also uh, are gonna see, there was a negative command here as well um, before I get to that next point there. Um, there's a negative command, where he's, a couple negative commands, where he says, we should be slow to speak, slow to speak. Now, if you think about him talking about the context of the assembly, when people are getting together as a church body, and we should have an eagerness to hear the word of God, what's he talking about, then, about slow to speak? I think there's a couple options. A couple options. One could be, there should be a slowness in being eager to be a teacher because you should grow and you should learn and you should be uh, fast to uh, focus on, on your own personal walk with the Lord and growing before you're ready to be a teacher. And while he is going to deal with that in chapter 3 uh, about this, the seriousness of being a teacher and there being greater uh, scrutiny on the life of a teacher uh, from God's perspective... Um, it could also be in the context of the assembly, there would sometimes be discussions about what was taught. And so, and I think that lines up with his second negative, which is that they're not to be getting angry. So I think the idea here is he's warning them to be slow, to speak, to be combative about what's being taught not be angry and fight but to graciously listen and accept and learn now certainly if there's heresy being taught it needs to be confronted but his point here is our nature as sinners is to refuse to listen or to think we know it all or to think we know better and to interject and argue and cause difficulty so the warning here, the, the encouragement from James is that we need to listen to the word of God. We need to have an eagerness to hear. We need to be eager and prepared to see what God says and respond to that. So we also see uh, in verse 21 where James is going to say they also need to progress in purity. Look with me at verse 21. Verse 21, James says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the re- that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So, James here says that we're to put aside all filthiness. And he says, uh, wickedness. I believe the idea is the same of both words. Essentially, he's saying we need to remove sin from our lives. We need to get rid of sin. And and I think, how does this fit together with what he's saying? I think the idea is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have an initial conversion in which we've responded to the word of God in faith. We've, We've come to trust in Christ, as he mentions in verse 18. We're begotten by God according to the gospel, the word of truth. But as believers, we need to continue to have this attitude of listening to God's word, and sin can get in the way of that. Sometimes the reason we don't hear what God is trying to tell us is because sin blocks it. Sin blinds us to what God may be trying to show us. As, an, as a way of another illustration, uh, how many of you have cut the grass, men or women, or whoever cuts the grass in your household? For our household, it's, it's me. Um, even yeah, even some of the young people, great. Um, so when you cut the grass, at least the kind of lawnmower I have, I have one of those small push mowers. It, it does have wheels that go. but um, when you push that lawnmower, um, it runs in gasoline, right? But another essential part of that actually working properly is air. Oxygen is required in the process, right? So what's happened to me at times, I'm pushing my lawnmower, I've been using it for a little bit, occasionally it'll just die. Have you experienced that? Now if it's not the engine, it's not a major problem, what I've found in my case is sometimes, you know what's, what's the problem, it's the air filter is dirty. So one of the ways I test this is uh, it has a little attachment on the side where it has a little cover over the air filter and I can pull out the air filter and then if it runs beautifully after I start it up again and it sounds even better than it did before I took that off, I know the problem is I have a dirty air filter. So multiple times when cutting the grass I've had to deal with that air filter getting clogged, getting dirty, and preventing the needed oxygen from getting to the motor so it would run properly and cut. Well, in a similar way in our lives, when we sin, we got sin in our lives that we haven't confessed, we haven't dealt with, it can block the work that God wants to do in our lives. We need to confess that sin. We need to forsake that sin as he's talking about here. Put away the sinfulness out of our lives so that we are... Better prepared and ready to hear what God would have us to do. All right, so he says that we should put away sin, but I think he also says we should have a prepared heart to receive the word. Notice he says in verse 21 how we should receive it, the manner in which we should receive it. He says, In humility receive the word implanted. We are to receive it in humility. Um, the idea here is we recognize we need it. We recognize we need God's Word. We don't have all the answers. So, with humility, we accept the fact that we need His wisdom, we need His guidance, so we humbly listen for it. And uh, He says here, the implanted Word. I believe this is a reference back to 118, talking about our conversion. God uses the word of God and the spirit of God to convert us. And he's talking there about that word of God that started with our acceptance of the gospel and continues to take root in our souls. And he says here that the motivation for doing this is it's able to save your souls. Now this could be a little confusing. Is he talking about salvation or is he talking about sanctification or our growth in Christ? I believe he's talking here about our sanctification, even though he uses the word save. But hopefully you're familiar with Philippians 2, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, right? There Paul talks about, as believers, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Remember that? The idea of salvation there is our salvation, yes, starts at a point of our conversion, But the work of salvation is an ongoing work that God continues to do in our lives, a restoring in us the image of Christ, making us like his son. And that is an ongoing work of restoration. And that work of restoration involves delivering us from the power of sin on a daily basis. So he's given here the motivation. The motivation is that we are to listen to the word of god because it is what is going to bring that change that growth that uh, growth in holiness and closeness to god so we have a motivation here as well so james makes it clear that genuine believers must continue to listen to the word of god but he's now going to turn to the subject of obedience to what we hear, that must be the outcome of that listening. So let's look at verses 22 to 25. It says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not mere, merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So we see here, point number two, that James commands to live out the word of God. So it's important to have an eagerness to listen, but James makes it utterly clear, listening alone is not enough you think about the Jewish people, the Jewish people, when Jesus came, did they or did they not, for the most part, know what the scriptures said? Yeah, they had the scriptures, and yet they weren't obedient, ultimately, to what the scriptures said. So it's important to not just be hearers of the word, but also doers. It's stated here as a positive command Prove yourselves doers of the word. But he also gives the negative of it, not merely hearers. He's emphasizing hearing alone is not sufficient. But he then gives a comparison. He gives a comparison in verses 23 and 24. He talks about anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. All right, so it's like looking in a mirror. All right, what does a mirror do? A mirror reveals reality, right? A mirror is a way to see yourself, which is in a way you can't otherwise see, right? So a mirror is just simply presenting what you are. Now, we have a uh, young man looking in, and he sees an old man, right? So it's not exactly reality in that case. But the idea is... The mirror should expose things wrong, right? Why do you look in a mirror? I, personally, I don't usually look in a mirror very often in the morning because I'm not worried about my hair being out of place. It's usually not a problem in my case, all right? So, but a mirror can show you how your hair is or how your face is if you need attention to anything, right? The idea is it, it exposes to you the reality so you can fix it. And James is saying, think about the nonsense of looking in a mirror and seeing a problem and not doing anything about it. Why are you even bother looking? It doesn't make sense. Because you're going to look, you don't do anything about it, you're going to go about your day, you're going to forget what you saw, and you're not going to take care of it, right? The idea should be, God's word is like a mirror. It reveals, it's not physically that it reveals things to us, but it's spiritually. It reveals things wrong in our lives, with our attitudes, with our actions. It reveals things to us about how we should be or how we shouldn't be. And our response to that should be to confess and forsake our sins and change. But James is saying if we won't do what God has said... It's like this nonsense of looking in a mirror and seeing a problem and walking away and not doing anything about it. doesn't make any sense. God's Word is a mirror in our lives. It reveals what we're like spiritually, and we should respond to it in obedience. And he gives the contrast here in verse 25. So in verse 23 and 24 is the disobedient person he compares to a mirror, and here he compares the obedient, or he contrasts the obedient person Uh, to the disobedient person. We see in verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So notice, this is a person who looks seriously at the word, all right? So just another picture of someone looking in the mirror. The idea is there's a serious look. There is a serious intent to see What's wrong? To see what God says with the intention of addressing it. And he says here, this person continues in the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, that topic of what is the law that James is referring to could be a message on its own. But I will just say to you, the law here that I believe James is referring to is the law of Christ. We are no longer as New Testament believers under the law of Moses. Now that doesn't mean we can disregard the Old Testament completely. We're told by Paul, for example, there are many examples and things that we learn from in the Old Testament. We're also told by Christ and the apostles of how many things in the Old Testament speak to the nature of God and how those things are binding in our lives as New Testament believers. But ultimately what James is referring to is, Our guide as New Testament believers is what Christ and the apostles have taught us. And that's our New Testament. And much of the New Testament, as I said, does explain things in the Old Testament to help us understand what may still apply. But we as New Testament believers are not under the law of Moses. We are under the law of Christ. And uh, James's point here is our response to the Word of God as believers should be, an eagerness to hear it, and an eagerness to obey what Jesus Christ has taught. We should not only uh, have the mindset that we accept his forgiveness of our sins, but we recognize a true response to the gospel is that of Yes, confession uh, of our sins, accepting his free gift of eternal life, and a transformed life as we continue to grow into the image of Christ. And what is the means of that happening? It's the word of God with the spirit of God to change us. So we should respond in obedience. And he says here the consequence of the one who is continuing in the word, the consequence of the one who uh, continues is that they will be blessed. They will be blessed in what he does. That's the consequence he points out there. So, we could boil it down pretty simply. I realize a lot of this is probably a reminder for us, right? We could boil it down pretty simply. We see that James gives a simple formula for uh, pleasing God in our lives and our response to the word of God. Number one, we should be eager to hear it. We should be eagerly listening for it. And we should be quick to obey it. We should continue to to obey and respond to the Word of God. So then it might bring up the question, how does 26 and 27 then fit into that? How does 26 and 27 fit into what James is saying? I think what he's doing here is he's giving us some real-life examples of how this applies. Some real-life examples. In in verse 26, he's going to tell us about the forgetful hearer. And in verse 27, he's going to tell us about the faithful doer. So let's look at those quickly as we... Uh, bring towards a close this morning a few minutes. It says in verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religious religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So real quick, some observations about the forgetful hearer. Number one, he thinks he's religious. Interestingly, it says he's convinced of his own good standing, right? He thinks he's religious. However, it tells us he doesn't control his tongue. Do you, do you have unsaved? You don't have to raise your hand. But do you have unsaved family? Do you have unsaved coworkers? Do you have unsaved neighbors? How would you describe their speech? I had this one set of neighbors one time. They would get into it with each other and it was terrible. Terrible speech coming out of that, right? What's characteristic of the unsaved? Their mouths are filthy, right? So a person who claims to know and understand the word of God and yet doesn't control their tongue, and, and Jesus tells us the tongue simply reveals who we are. What we talk about, what we, what we say is simply a reflection of what's in our heart. I had one professor who said it's the weather vane of the heart. It exposes what we really are. Um, someone's always talking about sports and this and that sports team. Not that sports is wrong. But if that's all they're talking about, you know sports is really important to that person, right? Our speech reveals who we are. And James is saying a person who says they're obedient to God, and yet they don't control their tongue, the result of that is they're deceived. And their religion is worthless. They don't really believe what they say they believe. And they're not because their obedience isn't there. They're not continuing in obedience. It is self-deception. And the reality is, uh, have you met someone like that before? Someone who claims to know the Lord, and they are just filthy in their speech? Horrible in their behavior, they may be convinced they're religious, but usually most everyone around knows they're not the real deal, right? But in contrast to that, he talks about the faithful doer. The faithful doer, uh, it says, is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our fathers. This to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I would suggest to you this person um, is described as somebody who has a Uh, religious dedication. I know I'm using the word religious because James is using it, but we tend to use it negatively in our day and age. We tend to think of religion as just the external, but that's not what James is saying. What James is saying is somebody who is a godly person, someone who is genuinely devoted to God. That's what he's referring to. And he says, what do they look like? He gives two things, two duties that they do. They visit the orphans and widows in their distress, and they keep themselves unstained from the world. I believe cut right to the chase this is a example of the greatest commandments that Jesus said Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself the widows and orphans are an example of neighbors they're an example of people in genuine need Do you remember Uh, The whole parable of the Samaritan, the, 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 the start of that whole parable was a man saying, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the parable of the Samaritan. And the idea is anyone in genuine need should be treated lovingly as a neighbor. That's the point. We should love our fellow human beings and meet genuine needs that they have. It's a fulfillment of love your neighbor as yourself. It's just one example. And he says here to keep yourself from the world, the idea is we're keeping ourselves unstained. We're unaffected by the sinful influence of the world. We're resisting that sinful influence. We're keeping ourselves to God. We're separated unto God. We're holy. And we are therefore loving God first. That's what James said is the real deal. So... Listening to the word of God is important and obeying the word of God is essential and this is what it looks like. In our lives will be the demonstration that we love God and we love other people and we're willing to serve them. So, as we see here in conclusion, James is encouraging us that we need to respond to the Word of God by eagerly listening to it, and we should respond by obedience. That is what true faith does in response to the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have the frank and challenging words that you've recorded here through James to challenge us Help us, Father, to have a heart, an attitude, eager to hear your word, but please also help us not to be deceived, thinking we're good just because we've heard it. Help us, Father, to have a heart that is dedicated to you, that we will put away sin, that we'll respond in obedience to the things that you show us and teach us. Help us to be quick to respond and obey. Help us not to be deceived. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.